This morning's message will be the fourth and the last in our series on relationships. And of course, I'm going to talk about communication because communication is the key to establishing and maintaining a great relationship. And it doesn't matter who we're talking about. It doesn't matter what type of relationship we're talking about. Communication is the key. If it's a marriage relationship, communication is the key to having a great marriage. 86% of divorced couples cite the reason for their divorce as the inability to communicate with each other. 86% of divorced couples say the problem with their marriage was communication. If it's a parent-child relationship, communication is the key to having a great relationship with your child. Do you know that 25% of teenagers say that they've never even had one meaningful conversation with her father. And the same 25% say they don't have a good relationship with their father. That's amazing to me. Because what it tells me is that teenagers intuitively connect communication with having a good relationship. They intuitively know that communication is the key to having a good relationship with their parents. If it's a business relationship, communication is the key to having a great relationship with your customers. You can offer the best product in the world, but if I can't contact you when I have a problem, I'm going to be going somewhere else. That's why businesses that want to keep their customers have to have good communication skills. They've got to have a way that their customers can get a hold of them. But my point is this. It doesn't matter what type of relationship that we're talking about. Communication is the key to having a great relationship. And with that being said, let me give you a communication principle. But first, how many of you remember what a principle is? Now, if you've been coming here a long time, you can probably define what a, what a principle is. But if you haven't, if maybe this is your first time, if you've only been coming maybe two or three months, let me define what a principle is. A principle is a fundamental truth that explains how something works. So marriage principles are fundamental truths that explain how marriage works. Financial principles are fundamental truths that explain how finances work. Parenting principles are fundamental truths that explain how parenting works. Well, communication principles are the same thing. They are fundamental truths that explain how communication works. Now, knowing that, let me give you one of the key, or I should say fundamental principles of communication. And here it is. If you're taking notes, write this down. Trust is the foundation of efficacious communication. Now, unless you're in the uh, field of theology, you might not know what efficacious means. So let me just tell you what efficacious means. Or if maybe you're in the medical field, you know what efficacious means. Efficacious simply means that you basically are able to produce the desired results. So when I talk about efficacious communication, I'm talking about productive communication. So let me give you that principle again. Trust is the foundation of efficacious communication. In other words, productive communication. You see, if I don't trust you, you can talk to you or blue in the face and it won't do any good. I'm not going to change my mind. I'm not going to listen to a word that you say. Why? Because I don't trust you. So you might as well be talking to a wall because you're not going to get through to me. So I want you to write this principle down. It's so important. It's important in every area of your life. Trust is the foundation of efficacious communication. In other words, productive communication. If I don't trust you, 
All the talking in the world isn't going to be productive. Why? Because if I don't trust you, I won't believe a word you say. I'm just going to roll my eyes and I'm going to wait until you quit yapping. That's why I say, for communication to be efficacious, in other words, productive, I have to be able to trust you and you have to be able to trust me. I have to trust that you mean what you say and you say what you mean. I have to trust that your word is good and that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. That's why Jesus told us to let our yes be yes and our no be no. Turn to the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter, verse 37. Follow along with me as I read it from the New Living Translation. Jesus said this, just say a simple, yes I will or no I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. You know, if you've got to swear on a stack of Bibles before someone will believe you, that means that you've got a credibility problem. People don't trust what you say. But if you're a person of integrity, you don't have to swear on a stack of Bibles. You can simply say whatever you want to and people are going to take you at your word. And that's what Jesus was telling us in the Sermon on the Mount. He's telling us that we need to be a person of integrity. We need to let our yes be yes and our no be no. In other words, when we say we're going to do something, then we need to do it. If we say we're not going to do something, then we need to be able to not do that and people can trust us. Now, what's kind of interesting is that Jesus not only taught and understood that trust is the foundation of efficacious communication, but he also told us that if, if people can't trust us, our word means nothing. Our word means nothing. Now, are we all on the same page? Because I wanted to lay a foundation before I get into what I'm going to be teaching on as it, come, as it pertains to relationships. Now, if communication is the key to having a great relationship, and trust is the foundation of efficacious communication, then in order to have a great relationship with other people, I've got to be a person that people can trust. My spouse has to be able to trust me, and I have to be able to trust my spouse. My kids have to be able to trust me, and I have to be able to trust my kids. My friends have to be able to trust me, and I have to be able to trust my friends. My employer has to be able to trust me, and I have to be able to trust my employer. My employee has to entrust me, and I have to be able to trust my employees. And if I can't do that, if they can't trust me or I can't trust them, then I'm not going to have a good relationship with them. People, it is as simple as that. So let's talk about the three things that erode trust and ruin relationships. Of course, the first one is what? What would you guess it to be? It's lying. doesn't get any simpler than that. I want you to turn to the book of Psalms, chapter 119. I'm going to read verses 163. And remember, the book of Psalms, chapter 119, it has to do with the Word of God. And in it, he's talking about how great God's Word is. But we're talking about God's Word. Now, you need to keep that in mind as we look at what this verse says. This verse says, I hate and abhor lying. Now, that's amazing because when God gives us His Word... We know that it's going to be good. We can trust God. But in the same sense, God has got to be able to trust us if we want to have a good relationship. Now, I want you to turn to the book of Proverbs, the sixth chapter. I'm going to read verses 16 through 19, and I'm going to show you the seven things that God hates. Notice what it says. 
There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue. Hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do nothing, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who sows discord among the brethren. In other words, in a family. Now I want you to notice that out of those seven things, lying is mentioned twice. Why? Because God hates lying. God hates lying because it erodes trust and it ultimately ruins relationships. And this morning I'm going to give you two examples to illustrate how the lack of trust ruins relationships. Now let me just say right off the bat that I do not mean to offend anyone. That is not my desire. But what I want to do is I want to give you examples that you can relate to and hopefully keep you from making a mistake. Now, having said that, let me start with marriage. Very few marriages can survive infidelity. And the reason why is because it destroys trust. In order to have an affair, you've got to lie. So when the affair affair is exposed, the lies come out. Now, most people think that the main reason that marriages cannot survive infidelity is because the innocent party cannot forgive. But people, that's normally not true. Most of the time... Not all of the time, but most of the time, the mate who's been betrayed is willing to forgive. That's not the problem. The problem is they can't trust their mate or they feel like they can't trust their mate. So when they call their mate and he or she doesn't pick up, they think the worst. And when they get home, guess what happens? They get into a fight. What are they fighting over? Where he or she was and what they were doing and why couldn't you pick up the phone? And and then it gets into, well, you don't trust me. And the one says, well, should I trust you? And it all comes down to this issue of trust. And now the guilty party has to account for every second of their life. They've got to watch every move that they make and they have to ensure that they don't do anything that seems to be suspicious. Why? Because the trust has been damaged. They've done something that's caused their mate not to be able to trust them. And people, that's why normally the relationship cannot survive infidelity. What destroyed the marriage? Was it infidelity? No. It was a lack of trust. And people, I've seen this happen over and over again. When trust is destroyed, it damages the relationships and a relationship, and sometimes it damages it to the point that it cannot be repaired. Now, normally, if they can get into counseling, they can rebuild that trust and they can have a great marriage, and sometimes they even have a better marriage. And the reason they have a better marriage is because now they've learned that the problem, the whole thing that started this was that we had a problem with communication. And they've learned how to communicate. They've learned how to be open. And as a result of that, they can have a good marriage. Now, the second example I'm going to use is teenagers. Teenagers, I want you to listen to me because I'm going to get rough this morning. But I'm going to teach you some things that will keep you out of a world of hurt. When a teenager sneaks out of the house at night, or they tell their parents that they're going to spend the night with a friend and instead they go to a party where they're not supposed to be, and the parent finds out, listen to me, teenagers, what happens is that trust is destroyed. At that point, your word means nothing. You looked your parents in the eye and you told them a bold-faced lie, which means that you cannot be trusted. At that point, 
Your parent has every right to check up on you. When you say that you're going to a friend's house, they, they have every right to call the parents of that friend to make sure that you're there. When you say you're going to be at a certain place, they have every right to get in the car, to drive over there to make sure that you're where you say that you are. They have every right to take your telephone and check your text messages. They have every right to go into your bedroom. Now, some of you parents, you don't think that that's right. Some of you kids are thinking, they don't have a right to go through my bedroom. They don't have a right to get in my phone. Let me just tell you something. When one of my daughters was 16 years old, we had an attitude problem. It wasn't what they said to me. None of my girls have ever backtalked me. But I could see on their face, this one daughter's face. And I told the daughter, I owned everything that she had. I owned the bed that she slept in. I own the towels that she dried herself off on. I own the shampoo that she used on her hair. I own the clothes that she was wearing. If she messed with me, she would sit in her room with nothing else naked. <laughs> now, some of you parents need to tell your kids that. You need to let your kids know until you can get out on your own and you can pay your own rent and you can pay for the utilities and you can buy your food, you're dependent upon me. Therefore, you need to understand something. You might be working at Reasers, but you can't support yourself. You might be working at this movie theater, but you can't support yourself. And as long as I'm supporting you, as long as you're dependent upon me, everything that you have is mine and you need to understand that. Now, some of you don't agree with that, but let me just tell you. The relationship that we have with our children is patterned after the relationship that God has with us. And some of you don't quite realize it that you don't own anything that you have. You're just a steward of it. God owns everything that you have. You're dependent on him for the very air that you breathe. And as you begin to read through the word of God, one of the things that you find out is that you don't own all these things that you own. You're just a steward of it. God owns it. And if you're a faithful steward, you're going to be rewarded. But if you're not a faithful steward of the things that God has allowed you to use, one day you're going to stand before him and you're going to have to give an account for everything that you have. Now, knowing that, I know how I'm supposed to parent. Now, I'm very respectful of my kids. You know, they call it their car. They call it their phone. It's theirs, all of this. And we allow them to kind of believe that until the attitude rises up. And then I let them understand real quickly, as long as they're dependent upon me, I own everything that they have. I pay the insurance on those vehicles. I paid the payments on those vehicles. We just call it your car. Does that make sense? Now, kids, you need to understand something. When you sneak out of the house at night, or you tell your parents that you're going to be at a friend's house and you go to a party instead, you have broken trust. And then you start complaining about how your parents don't trust you. It's because you've lied. You have proven to them that you cannot be trusted. So now you're going to have to prove to them that you can be trusted. You're going to have to rebuild trust. Now, let me say this, teenagers. I want you to understand something very important. Your parents want to trust you, but you betrayed them. So now you're going to have to earn their trust. Now you're going to have to rebuild the trust. And that doesn't happen just because you say that you're sorry. It doesn't happen just because you look into their eyes and say, Mom and Dad, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. Well, 
You looked in their eyes and you told them a bold-faced lie when you said you were going to go spend the night with Susie and you weren't with Susie. You were at a party you weren't supposed to be at. So now, they're thinking, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Now I'm just going to check it out. And you can complain all day long that your parents don't trust you, but that's the wrong thing to be saying. What you should be saying is, I have not earned my parents' trust. I have broken that trust. Therefore, I'm going to have to rebuild it. Now listen to me, teenagers. When trust is destroyed, it damages a relationship because relationships are built on trust. Employees, when your employer catches you lying and you get all upset because now they're always checking on you and they're making sure that you're doing what you say or you're, you're working on what you say you're working on. The problem is not your employer. The problem is you. You lied. You damaged that relationship because relationships are built on trust. It works that way in every relationship. That's the first thing that erodes. Trust. And ruins a relationship is lying. Let's go to the second thing. The second thing that can erode trust is flattery. Now when I say flattery, I don't mean encouragement. So let me explain what I mean by flattery. Flattery is a complimentary lie. It has the intent of trying to snow someone, of trying to increase your standing in another person's eyes. In simple terms, it is a manipulative lie. You're willing to, or you're using another person's desperate need for approval or acceptance to get what you want. And you're preying on their insecurity. So, let me be very clear. When I say flattery, I'm not saying that, I'm not talking about looking for the best in people and then finding a way to encourage them. That is a good thing and that's something that we all should be doing. But what I'm talking about is a flat out lie about a person's skills or a person's actions for the sole purpose of personal gain. People, that's flattery. Now, some of you are probably wondering, well, why is flattery so bad? Flattery is so bad because flattery is a lie. And it has the potential to hurt others. You see, flattery can cause a person to believe something about themselves that isn't true. It's a lie. And if they believe the lie, it can cause them to go in a direction that they shouldn't go in. Notice what Solomon said in the book of Proverbs, the 26th chapter, verse number 28. He said this, A lying tongue hates its victims, and flattering words cause ruin. Let me say that again. A lying tongue hates its victims, and flattering words cause ruin. If Rehoboam hadn't believed the flattering words that his friends kept feeding him, he never would have split the kingdom of God. But you know what? He trusted them. They were telling him how great, what a great man that he was and the skills that he possessed. And you grew up underneath your father Solomon who was the wisest king that ever lived. And you're going to be even wiser because you've learned from him. And they flattered him with all of these words. And he listened to their counsel. And he ended up separating the kingdom of Israel. But I want you to understand something. After the kingdom was split, I can guarantee you he never trusted those friends again. Once he acted upon what they said, the bold-faced lies that they kept feeding him, and it turned out wrong, he realized something very quickly. I cannot trust them. You know, every once in a while, our friends come to us, and maybe they're going to do something that we can see right away is not good for them. 
there's the tendency not to want to hurt. And you know, the Bible tells us that we're to speak the truth in love. And so it's good for us to try and, and to speak things that, that doesn't tear people down. We want to speak things that builds people up. And so we want to be able to do that. But we also need to be able to speak the truth. Because if we don't and we speak a bold-faced lie and they believe that lie and they act upon that lie, it can bring devastation to their life. And we need to understand that. The third thing that can erode trust is broken promises. When my girls were little, I promised them that I would build them a tree house. Now the house that we lived in didn't have any trees that were good enough to be able to build a tree house. So what I was going to have to do is I was going to have to go out and get six by six posts. I was going to have to sink them into the ground. I was going to have to build a whole deck. Then I was going to have to frame in a house above that. And, you know, they'd drawn out all these plans that they wanted. And I looked at this. And this thing was going to cost about $1,500 to $2,000 to build. And I really wanted to build it for them. And I said, you know, I'm going to build that for you guys someday. But I didn't have $1,500 to $2,000 to be able to do it. And so I kept saying, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, until one day when I finally had the money and I was ready to do it, both of my girls had grown to the age that now they didn't want a treehouse anymore. But even at that age, even though they didn't want one, they still remembered that when they did want one, I had promised to build them a treehouse, and I hadn't done that. People, that haunts me to this day. I broke a promise. So I can guarantee you when my grandkids come along, my grandkids are going to have that treehouse. I'm not building it for them. I'm going to build it for my kids and say, I want you to understand something. I promised to build you one and I didn't do it and I'm going to build my grandkids a treehouse. But this treehouse is really for you and it's for me to be able to make up the promise that I gave them. Now, I'm sure that you noticed the flattery and broken promises are both a form of lying. But what I want you to understand is that lying erodes trust. And when trust is eroded, it damages a relationship because relationships are built on trust. I have to believe that you mean what you say and you say what you mean and that you're going to do what you say you're going to do or you're not going to do what you say you're not going to do. Now, I want you to understand as you're reading through the Bible, it continually teaches this principle that relationships are built upon trust. You know, most people don't get this, but all that a marriage is, is a covenant. And it's built or based upon trust. When the bride and the groom stand before the pastor and they come to the vows, the pastor says, do you promise to love cherish and honor this person in sickness and in health in good times and in bad and to keep only unto them so long as you both shall live and the person says I do the only thing that that marriage is based upon is trust trust that the other person is going to keep their vow now, here's what's interesting. Marriage is patterned after the covenant between Christ and the church. I am saved by faith. The word faith is the Greek word pistis. 
Pistis literally means trust. I am saved by trust. I trust that Jesus died for my sins. I trust that Jesus paid the penalty for my sins. I trust that God raised him from the dead and that if I believe in him, I trust in him, I will be saved and get to go to heaven. That's all that salvation is based upon is trust. This whole relationship between me and God, this whole relationship between me and Jesus is built upon nothing but trust. You know, today, I don't think you can write a contract that can't be broken. If you get a good enough lawyer, they can find a loophole or a way out. Something is wrong with society when we allow that. Relationships are built upon trust. I mean what I say, I say what I mean, I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do, I'm not going to do what I say I'm not going to do. And if we don't have trust, we cannot have a good relationship. I tell you right up front, every time that I teach, you need to check out everything I say in the Word of God. But at the same time, I know that you trust that I'm going to study the Word of God and that what I bring forth is what I believe to be the truth from God's Word. The relationship that we have is based on trust. When that trust is damaged, that relationship is damaged. And if we're not careful, we can ruin that relationship. That's why communication is so important. But that's also why that, that the reason why the trust is the foundation of efficacious communication. Communication that's productive. 